Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show all about building and investing in companies, featuring interviews with startup founders, investors, and operators, sharing the best insights into the world of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Rishi Mandel, founder and CEO of Future, backed by Kleiner Perkins and Founders Fund. Future is an online personal training platform that pairs clients with their own world-class coach. Rishi was previously the CEO of Sash, which was acquired by Postmates, and a product leader at Google. Prior to tech, Rishi was an astrophysics researcher at NASA and Stanford University. In this episode, we go through why Rishi decided to start Future, what he's done to build a company so far, and where he's looking to grow moving forward. As always, the show notes are discogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. Without further ado, here is Rishi Mandel, founder and CEO of Future. Rishi, welcome to the show. Justin, thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to chat about Future and uh, with my background being in fitness and what this company is doing, I'm really excited. And with this, for people who aren't familiar with Future, what are you guys doing there? Yeah, Future, we designed it to allow the busiest people in the world to maintain healthy habits or high performance for long periods of time. And the way we do it is we pair every single member with a world-class coach and that coach will do three things for you. They're you know fully digitally going to coach you up. They're going to do number one, send you a new training plan every single Sunday because no week is like the next, right? There's all sorts of things that come up. And so your coach is literally thinking about your work, your travel, what you've done in terms of your physical activity and building a new plan every single week that is going to fit for you. The second thing we do is we send you an Apple Watch and are you, that allows your coach, even if they're a thousand miles away from you, to see if you're actually you know, doing the right things, how you're performing, what's your heart rate doing, recovery, and so on. Um, and that creates a lot of specificity and accountability, uh, which is really special about Future. And then the third thing we do is we put you in touch with your coach over text message. And your coach will typically be the first person you hear from in the morning. Um, our average customer trades four texts every single day with their coach. And so it's it's the highest touch thing we've ever seen in fitness. With this as well, there's so much that with your background, and we can get into that in a second, but with your background in startups and entrepreneurship and having raised money and done all these things before, you have a lot of options for what you could have done for a company. Why did you decide to start Future? Yeah, you know, after building and, and having a couple of exits and companies, you know, started to feel like I had some some skills, you know, to to build teams, build some product and really get after some problems. And and about four years ago, really started to think about what's a problem that moves me, you know, what's something that's hard that more people should think about. And and you know, at the time, um, I was at a venture capital firm as an EIR, what they call an entrepreneur in residence. And my job was to look at some companies, to think about what I wanted to do next. And I came across almost serendipitously a lot of health companies because the, the firm I was at did a lot of you know investing in clinical healthcare. And um, you know the state of health in America was striking to me. You know I learned I came to learn spending time with all these entrepreneurs. Seventy percent of Americans are obese or overweight. And when I first learned that stat, I was like, you know, there's no way that's true. Seven out of every <laughs> ten. Um, but it actually is, you know, at the time it was the CDC's stat, for better or for worse. It was actually a pretty good picture of where we were. And it was shocking, you know. And not only was it shocking to know that most of us are, uh, you know, working through those problems, it then became obvious that, well, if 70% of us are obese and overweight, then of course, uh, the majority of us have chronic conditions, of course. Um, and then, of course, 80% of us are going to die of those chronic conditions. Uh, things like heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, 
the biggest killers of Americans. And all of this added up for us to see that, man, in this historically wealthy, prosperous nation, quality of life is not only bad, but it's actually getting worse. There's no indication it's getting any better. And that was worthy of spending a lot of time on. You know, I think sometimes when you're thinking about starting a company, um, you know, it's really tempting to get out there and start building stuff and, and, and find, you know, um, and start iterating and, and get attracted to the first thing you find. And for me, it's always been a process of, of just looking at a lot of things and then finding the thing that I truly keeps me up at night. And when I started to discover this problem space, I was like, I, I'm having a physical response of this being insane and I cannot sleep. And <laughs> that's a sign that I should start at least pulling on some threads here. And, and uh, I can talk more about it, but one thing led to another. And, and about three and a half years ago, we started Future. And, and now fast forward to today, you know, it's a full-blown thing with 150 employees and, the, and it, <laughs> it's off and running. In those early stages, when you had this idea, you know there's this massive problem, obviously, in the United States specifically and, and throughout other countries as well. But knowing that, what were some of the things you were doing to pull on those strings to start to figure out what a possible solution might be for this? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing the, the, the first thing we did was just start to talk to lots and lots of smart people, right? And to talk to clinicians and normal people and athletes and um, insurance executives, just anyone who touched health as a concept. And, um, and started to see that, like, you know, there's this really interesting thing, which is the majority of Americans, 80% of us, in fact, don't work out enough for it all, like crazy thing. Yeah. But actually, every single year, the majority of us go out and pick something up, a workout routine, a, you know, exercise bike or whatever. Um, most of us are picking something up, we're spending a, a fortune, $100 billion a year trying to be healthy. And yet 80% of us going to fail. And then the next year, this amazing thing happens, usually in January, which is the majority of us are going to pick up another thing and we're going to fail and we're going to pick up another thing. And what we started to see was just this story of optimism, actually, that people want this, right? And, and I think the, the solutions that have existed have failed them. So as we were thinking about this problem and we were looking at quality of life is low, it's getting worse, um, you know, we were not that interested in taking people who are already diagnosed as ill. We frankly don't have the skills to do this. Um, and yeah. then, you know, sort of diagnose them and, and give them therapeutics. Our question was, how can you actually just fundamentally and proactively, you know, improve the quality of life? And the question we asked was, how can we improve the quality of life for 100 million people in 10 years? What crazy stuff would you have to believe? And let's just rule it out. You know, let's just talk about the crazy, crazy stuff you'd have to believe. And then let's just throw it out if it's crazy. And what we found was actually there's these huge levers. You know, there's five things you do on a daily basis that end up actually having this huge impact, not only on how long you're going to live, but how great those years can be. Yeah. And those five things you do are, you know, they're how you move, how you eat, how you sleep, how you deal with stress or mental health. And then the fifth one is whether or not you actually take your meds. It turns out Americans who are prescribed, you know, on a prescription medication plan are just terrible at sticking with them. <laughs> And so these five little things, you know, they actually are these little decisions we make every day, but they actually compound to have this massive influence on, like I said, how long you're going to live, how great those years can be. And this was so striking for us, which was for 99% of Americans, truly, all five of those things are completely unmanaged. Yeah. And there's this weird gap that we all recognize these things are important. We all kind of know we should, you know, move slightly more, eat slightly better. Uh, all the literature will tell you these are huge problems. And, and, and yet the societal expectation is that every single one of us, you and me, uh, every single one of us is, is expected to kind of handle it on our own on the side, right? 
the expectation is that you will, after your full day of work and dealing with your family and in, <laughs> you, know, you might have a job or two in a commute and, and so on, social obligations, after all of that, you are going to locate for yourself, what is the definition of being active enough? And then you're going to go find solutions to get you active. And then you're going to stick with them yourself. And then you're also going to, you know, when it comes to food, you're supposed to kind of locate a definition of healthy eating, which is, as, as you know, given your background, a pretty elusive thing. It seems to change. It seems to be very personal from person to person. And it's incumbent on each of us to locate what is healthy eating and then go find recipes and ingredients lists and then go do our shopping and, and you know, meal prep on Sundays. That's the expectation. If you want to be a healthy person, um, you know, do it on the side. And we thought that was just crazy. It was actually, you know, perfectly reasonable for us to think about your average American being burdened with so many things in life that they're not going to be able to go pick up these five additional jobs for themselves. Um, and so the end result is we don't manage these things and they get away from us. And then, you know, we have these problems. And so the question we then kind of started to ask was not why don't people exercise? It felt plainly obvious. People are overloaded. Modern life is busy. It's chaotic. It's actually yeah. totally reasonable that people don't go off and, and expend all this additional energy. Um, the question was the inverse, right? Where are there some small subgroups of people among us who are having success maintaining high performance or healthy living for long periods of time, not three or six months at a time, but six years at a time or 10 years, right? That should be the goal for each of us. And so the question was, where are these small groups of people? And what we found were these just really tiny populations among us. There were professional athletes or high-level athletes. There were um, executives at the highest level, you know, uh, you know, big-time celebrities, things like that. They were these really niche populations. But what we saw in these populations were these little groups of people who could sustain high performance for long periods of time. And the question was, what are they doing? You know, what, what do they yeah. have access to? What are they doing? And the answer was so surprising, which is like to near 100% consistency, they were doing the same thing. And, you know, in order to understand what they're doing, you have to ask yourselves, like, what characteristics do these people share? You know, pro athletes, executives, so on and so forth. Number one, they're super busy. They're just crazy crushed with how busy they are. <laughs> Number two, they have a high rational interest in being healthy. And the third thing they share that's actually kind of different from the rest of us is they have basically a lot of means, a lot of resources to dedicate to this problem. And so the question we were asking was, okay, if you have a ton of resources to throw at this problem, how do you end up maintaining your day-to-day -day health? And the answer is you don't. You actually build a constellation of experts around you to help you manage your health, right? You go and get, with almost 100% consistency, we saw these people go get a personal trainer, really common. Someone who comes and tells you exactly what to do, comes up with a plan, gives you a simple set of instructions. We would find in these populations, some of them would go get a private chef who would stock their fridge with 12 healthy meals a week, or... Um, a lot of high-level athletes work with sports psychologists who come and, you know, help them work through the stresses of, you know, life and sport. And on and on and on, what we saw was just these repeated examples of these folks solving their, their, their problems around health with ownership. What they did is they got people in their boat with them who co-owned their goal to be more active or high-performing or sleep more. Um, and then together, they actually worked through it. And so, so taking a step back, we saw all the most successful people opt for coaching. And, and the question was, could we bring that to normal people? Because it's prohibitively expensive to go and hire an expert for an hour here or there for $100, $200. <laughs> yeah. um, and so then, that, then we started to ask that question of, of could technology actually bridge this gap? Could, you, could we connect you one-to-one you know, -one in a meaningful way 
with an expert to manage your health. And, and that's how Future started. And today we're really, really focused on your fitness and we pair you with a world-class coach. I mean, these coaches are, um, you know, they're all employees of our business. Um, our coaches, you know, about 85% of them come from professional sports teams or division one college programs are really high level. Um, they have, you know, all have a bachelor's degree in exercise science. Um, majority of them have a master's degree. This is a really skilled group of people who we can now bring into your life because they don't have to drive to your house and meet you there or whatever. You know, we're using a digital uh, connection and so they can help a lot more people. With that as well, one of the things I think about right away is getting those coaches on board because, you know, you mentioned they're employees of, of Future, but this is a very different way of coaching from someone who has been working with athletes, for instance, for years, or they've been working with whoever it may be in person. It's obviously a much different thing when you're looking at what this coaching program looks like. If it's all remote, they never see people in person. How did that sell go? How has that gone on the coaching <laughs> side and figuring that out? Because that's what I think about right away with this. It's a radical shift. Um, but it turns out that, you know, coaching in person can be limiting. And if you think about being a, a personal trainer or a strength coach in person, you and I are going to have to, you know, negotiate if I want to be your coach. We're going to have to find a time that works for both of us. And that's typically you know, a few hours before work, six, seven, eight a.m. or you know, typical times that people want to exercise, or the three hours after work, you know, six, seven, eight p.m. Let's say, um, and so this doesn't give us a lot of options. And then we have to get physically co-located. So um, there's a lot of time and energy that goes into that. And as a result, um, you have what we would call, you know, to be nerdy about it, like a lumpy demand curve. That <laughs> in the morning you can be really busy. In the middle of the day, you don't have this huge ability to help people. And then at the end of the day, you have a little flurry and you've actually ended up working this 12 or 15 hour day. Right. Um, but you haven't been, um, flexing the most exciting, important parts of your skills all day long. And what happens when we, um, liberate that co-location requirement and actually on, on future, you're not zooming in with your coach. They're actually building a beautiful and a bespoke workout for you. Our app will guide you through with audio and video. Uh, but if you're running five minutes late and you hit start on it, you can still do your hour workout. You know, that's totally fine. And then the points of synchronicity for us where you're actually sharing time with your coach is in all the messaging before and after and the video calls and all of that stuff. And by flipping it on its head, we actually can allow an individual coach to help five to 10 times more people than they could help in person to be really high touch with all of those people, which is really, you know, one of the, the recurrent themes of how we think about approaching this. Um, and yes, you're right. It's an absolute shift in terms of being on the floor, music's bumping of a gym, you know, you're high-fiving your clients. Um, but it turns out if we can actually give you the ability to help a lot of people do it flexibly, you know, spread your work throughout a day, um, you can still find times to, to you know, work out with a, a few folks. You are still getting a lot of the core of coaching. The core of coaching is using your IQ and your EQ to drive someone to success. Yeah. And your IQ is what should, you know, Justin be doing? What's the, like, you know, the optimal plan for him given his age and goals and constraints? And then the EQ is really like, it doesn't matter how good his plan is. How do I get him to do it? <laughs> um, and coaching is a very skilled job. And, and by allowing coaches to really exercise throughout a day, those skills and help many, many more people, there's a lot of, you know, there's a give and take here and there's a lot to, to, to like as a coach in terms of helping more folks, doing it flexibly. Um, and, um, and then some of that, you know, trade is you're not on your feet all day and you're not in the gym all day, but you maybe can still find pockets of time to do that. 
with that side of things as well, I know you mentioned with the coaches that you've brought in so many expert coaches. And I looked through the website and saw them and it was just like, yeah, I mean, it's a who is who in terms of where they've worked and everything. It's, it seems incredible. Have you, I mean, with any business, it's not a marketplace, obviously, because these people are employees of future, the coaches are, but yeah. how have you thought about or how has the churn gone within that as you've gone from starting the business to, you know, to scale up, you need more coaches. So how has that gone in terms of you managing churn and figuring out getting more and more coaches on board? Because that allows you to reach more people. You know, what's interesting is I think we are now the third largest employer of coaches in America. And one of the two larger organizations is the U.S. military. So it's like, you know, we're really kind of <laughs> up there. And, you know, uh, like I said, you know, we have a high touch relationship with our coaches too, as, as being employees. And I think, you know, what, um, what we found coaches, you know, here love is number one, they're inventing actually, they're, they're thinking about how do you coach, um, a new world of people, right? Because the, the, the history of one-on-one personal coaching is it's so expensive at a hundred dollars an hour, it can easily cost you. If you just want to see your coach three times a week, it can cost you 15, $20,000 a year. I mean, that's a prohibitive entry for, for most people. And so I think in, in one sense, what coaches love about this is they are inventing. They're really thinking about how do you bring the world-class, you know, uh, best coaching in the world to normal people. Um, and, and I think that's exhilarating. That's interesting. It's new ground. And then we can actually, um, you know, help you just touch more lives and hear more stories and, and get a more diversity of clients. And so to date, it's been an extremely successful model. We have, you know, astronomical retention of our coaches. They're growing, they're growing their uh, client bases and their earnings and their skills. And, and I think it's really interesting now with all of that elite coaching team, they're actually collectively making coaching better for each of them. They're learning, trading, you know, information where we as a company are learning on, um, you know, the data and the patterns that we're seeing one coach have success with. We can proliferate best practices to the rest. Um, and so I think it's just been a really enriching thing and um, I'll put it this way, which is we don't actually spend a lot of resources recruiting coaches. We have, um, you know, near a thousand coaches who are, are knocking on our door to, to work together. <laughs> and, um, and like I said, we're just getting started. So, um, so, so far, it's been a really exciting proposition and, and we're constantly evolving um, to make it even more meaningful and better, you know, every day. Yeah, and it's fascinating to think about the idea of having so many coaches under one roof and being able to, as you mentioned, share best practices and improve because that obviously gets better results for people. And I, my my coaching brain is thinking about that and how great that always was. I was in a number of different uh, mentorship groups before, and that was always the most helpful things. You're sharing notes, you're, you're passing ideas around, and your your product only gets better with time as you bring on more coaches. It doesn't dilute because if you can share that knowledge across, it seems like that would be a way to get even better results. Uh, with people as well. Yeah. You know, there's this interesting thing that we, we what happened um, when we started building out our coaching team, we had a question of like, okay, how are we going to run into other fitness companies or, that are looking for coaches? And we found that we're actually looking for something very different than everybody else. You know, most fitness companies and tech companies in this space are looking for a type of coach that I would call, you know, just to shortcut it, celebrity, right? Someone who can get up in front of a group of people and really fire them up. And that's a really amazing skill and an interesting, you know, prototype of coach. But instead of celebrity, what Future is looking for is diversity. And what we want is a huge net of coaches who might be geeks 
or introverts or into anime, but all share one thing that they're, they're un, unbelievable and excellent coaches. And bringing that diversity of backgrounds and experiences together, um, it's ex- we, we get exactly what you're talking about, which is a variety of training philosophies, a variety of communication styles. And then as those coaches go out and map against and go and help lots and lots of different types of our customers, um, what we then find are situational um, learnings that for this type of person in this type of situation, this you know particular strategy can work well. And so we're not designing for the common denominator. We're finding an endless uh, you know variety of niche you know learnings that we can then arm the coach with at the right time uh, for the right person in the right place. And and that means every single coach is is, is smarter, better. Uh, for it has a lot of resources to to you know rely on. So so the thing does feed on itself, and we're absolutely seeing that. Just curious, how did you find your initial coaches? Um, you know, we went to some of the best performance centers in in the country and said, uh, "We're doing something crazy. We're going to bring <laughs> this level of coaching for like your mom." Um, and you know, the process of building a company is not it's not really about convincing skeptics. It's about finding your believers, right? Mm-hmm. And especially initially. Um, and so what we did is talk to a hundred of the best coaches in the country and found, you know, three who had a, a, a spark to it and, and, and started with, uh, the best of the best who wanted to change the world and, and liberate coaching from being something that's only ever going to serve the 1% and bring it to, to, uh, you know, the rest of the world. And once we found those folks, they, um, they attracted the next folks. And, and you've heard that story before, I'm sure of how just your team builds on itself. You know, it's interesting hearing about this, and I'm I'm like thinking back to when I was training clients as a, as a personal trainer back in like probably 2013, 2014, 15, um, about how I was looking for this kind of exact thing. Like, I enjoyed the the mental side of it and like getting into people's heads and EQ and programming, uh, almost more than like you're just showing up to every session sometimes. And yeah. it was one of those things where like, something like this, I could see where a lot of coaches are would be interested in this as well. And it is different from a, if you look from a coaching perspective, their schedules are so crazy as a, as a coach or a trainer, typically, whether it be at a university training professional athletes or just a personal trainer somewhere at a gym, like their schedule is crazy. Like even to have like a more, a more, a better schedule in some ways as well from future, it makes it seem like, okay, you have that side of it locked away because I can see the value of it. Tell me about the customer side, getting your first customers and how that's grown or what's been your approach to that. I'd be curious as well. Yeah, you know, our approach with Future was to let it show us that it was a special idea. To 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 slow down and instead of just our running to say like we think there's something really beautiful here. Coaching has actually existed for 60-70 years. It's worked wonderfully for the people who can afford it, and the problem is just nobody can afford it. And so we have this very simple concept of can we replicate or or really um, you know, uh, derive some of the same intimacy trust that people have with their coach, you know, and people in the real world, like love their coach, you know, they'll, they'll see you, you'll see them, you know, many times a week, they'll, uh, chop it up a lot, get to know them. And, um, and then they'll eventually like invite them to their wedding or vice versa. You know, it really becomes a, a, an active relationship in your life. Yeah. And the question was, could we, could we build that kind of intimacy and connection, you know, digitally? And so for our customers, you know, the initial ones, what we really wanted to do was, was almost underbuild and see if this was really cutting through. And so we, you know, we rigged up, uh, for our first coach, poor, poor lady, we, we, uh, 
we gave her phone number out to, to the, her actual phone number to like all these customers. We, um, she built her workouts on a spreadsheet, something that's, you know, familiar to a lot of coaches. Mm-hmm. And then we hand imported every exercise into our app, you know, coded the IDs into our app. And then you had to like download a new version of our app just to like work out every day. And it was like, you know, it was taped together. And what we found, we got these, you know, random customers. I mean, we went and we tried not to give it to our friends and we always charged retail, what we still charge today. You know, we charge 149 a month today and we charged that from the get-go. And what we found was, man, we had built and we still have built just a fraction of what we want to build for, for future. But early on, the moment we knew there was something here was we got this feedback from people. We're like, I don't even know this coach. I never even met them. And yet when I miss a workout, I feel terrible. And then the next day, I'm rearranging meetings. I'm canceling dinner with friends. I'm like, I'm changing my behavior to like get this thing in so I don't disappoint this coach or or yep. because I promised them I would get it in. And and we were like, there, there's something here that you can actually, you can make two people who will never meet in space and time if they're authentically there and talking and responsive. You can make them feel um, each other's efforts and excitement. And once you do that, once you get that level of intimacy built between two people or trust, um, the whole thing flies. And we found that we, we had built just a tiny, tiny fraction of what we wanted. And the behavior was exactly what we hoped to see, which was people started to have great success and build a bond with their coach. And, and off we went. How did that evolve? The uh, Getting the first initial ones to then as you've grown the last couple of years in terms of customer acquisition, because that's always a huge thing with any startup. It's like, how do you actually acquire customers? And then as you scale more and more, I mean, you've raised a series B and I can talk about that in a second, but how have you gone about that in terms of the changes in customer acquisition or how that's changed over time? It's a great question. And and we are big believers. When I say we, my co-founder, Justin Santa Maria and I, we're big believers that when we, when you're building a company, you should build it in phases or stages. And what that means is you shouldn't try to boil the ocean and get every little thing you want done over time, like right away. And our grand ambition for future from the day one was we want to build a constellation of experts around normal people, like unbelievable experts um, who are here and enriched by the challenge of helping you, um, you know, meet your goals, exceed your goals, live a healthy and empowered life. We want to build that constellation of, of experts around every single person. So how do you go from zero to we're helping hundreds of millions, billions of people with, you know, every aspect of their day-to-day health? Um and what we decided to do was to say, let's actually go in and pick off the more existential problems first. And in like, let's say, you know, X month phases, that could be 12 months or six months, whatever, in, in little phases, go and start to like prove to ourselves that we have a solid foundation, you know, by one problem at a time. And so the first phase of our company was just simply, could we even take the world's greatest coaches and make them productive and engaged if they're coaching digitally? Exactly what you were asking. And, and at first, absolutely not. Our tool set was horrible. <laughs> we couldn't communicate, we couldn't really communicate the richness of, of their knowledge to a customer, but we kept iterating. And, and to answer your question specifically around how did you get customers in the early days? What we did is we went out and got, um, you know, a, a small cohort of random customers enough to give a signal, you know, so in the hundreds or something, we're yeah. charging them retail. We would, I don't know, run Facebook ads or something and build up a wait list and have, you know, thousands of people waiting. And in, in cohorts, we would allow people in and we set, you know, a bar for ourselves and we wanted to see coaches be you know productive in this way or that way. And, and then we would watch what happened and realize we're falling totally short. 
after that little cohort of time, let's say, you know, three months or, or a month or two, whatever it was, um, we would then, you know, have, have been building a bunch of stuff. We would go invite a new set of people and say, now with this newer and greater tool set or newer and greater expectations around a coach or whatever processes we've changed, are we seeing, you know, a better experience? And so that first phase was just iterating over and over on, can we even take a coach and really convey the amazing things they do for people digitally. And, and to obviously to our satisfaction, we saw absolutely we can get uh, the queuing, you know, the, the, the little cues that they'll, they'll yell at you or, or say to you on a gym floor, um, we can record that and send it to you and they can annotate your workout with those things. We can, um, you know, problem solve around your schedule. If you have a board meeting coming up, we can work on that stuff, you know, and we use text message to do that and we have some scheduling tools. And so we started to build and build and build. The next phase of our company was, okay, if we can make coaches and the world's greatest coaches productive, do we see anomalous outcomes for customers? And anomalies in in our industry, in, in fitness, is actually finding a population of people and having them actually stick with a workout routine for an extended <laughs> period of time. Because the history of fitness is is actually wonderful ideas, you know, uh, from workout content, which was, which used to be videotapes and DVDs, and now is apps and you know YouTube uh, streams and Instagram, and with equipment, which in the '90s was treadmills, and today is you know a whole variety of cool equipment um, and measuring devices. You know, we see a lot of willingness for people to pick things up, and a lot of those solutions are awesome. But nothing sticks because life is absolutely chaos for most people. And so they, they get in a, a groove on something for three or six months, but then they move geographies or change jobs or get promoted or start dating someone. And those little changes to life can totally throw off a fragile routine. And so, so what we wanted to see in this second phase of the company was, okay, if coaches can be productive, can we put people on future, give them a coach and see three, six months after they picked it up? you know, absolutely insane retention. That's what we would expect to see for giving you a world-class coach. And we did see that. We saw that three or six months after people picked up Future, you know, the vast, vast majority of them still actively using it. Um, you know, we have some of the best retention in fitness ever, brick and mortar or digital. And we don't lock you into a 12-month contract or we don't sell you three months. You know, we don't even give you the option. It's month to month. We remind you every month and yet people pick it up. Um, they stick with it at, at huge rates. Um, and so once we saw that, you know, that was really our barometer in that second phase of the company. If, when people pick it up, do we see anomalous outcomes? We saw insane retention. Then we said, let's move on to the next phase of the company. And the next phase was, um, can we do this efficiently? Is there actually a, a durable long-term business here? And yeah. so we hired our COO and we, we hired a talented team of, of people who think about the ops side of, of coaching, of, of, build, of scaling one-to-one -one connections. How do you actually get our, our, our coaches to be as productive as possible about while being as personal as possible and, and, and get the business equation to look right. And then finally, you know, we, we, we traversed that stage. And, and like you said, we raised the series B uh, very recently. And the question is now, how can we do a whole lot more of this? How can we go and reach, you know, 10 times, a hundred times more people than we currently help. Um, and so we hired our, you know, CMO, um, we, we got a lot of resources and now have started to solve, you know, that problem. And, and, and the, the point I'm making is, is it's really healthy to build a company um, in phases where you're really problem solving around one thing and you're signaling to your team, we're not going to solve, you know, our, our landing page is actually going to look like crap in this first two phases of the company because it doesn't really <laughs> matter. And for as much as we want to have pride about our Twitter, uh, you know, presence of what we're doing or the landing page or whatever, it just doesn't simply doesn't matter to the question we're asking in this first phase of the company. It takes some discipline to not, um, 
to not try to, you know, solve too many problems. Um, and then, you know, over time you, you build conviction in your business and you have a sense for, you know, the biggest, the biggest questions are answered. So now, um, how do we, you know, scale up? Yeah. The next challenge is right. <laughs> scaling, scaling from there, which is another, another thing to think about. And one thing I want to go back to quickly is just the pricing side of it. So you mentioned being at the same price kind of the whole time and this month to month flexibility, um, pricing is such a huge part of any company and the business model behind that really influences what this company is going to be. I mean, how have you decided on that? I'd be curious as the, the thought behind what you're doing with pricing. Yeah. So, you know, uh, roughly future costs, uh, about the same amount as one session with our coaches in person, but you, you know, that's our monthly cost. You get an entire month of support from them. You can work out 30 times that month more if you're crazy. Um, <laughs> and, and it's just that one cost. And, the way we arrived there was to really think about, you know, actually to think about our coaches and to say, if we can actually empower coaches to help a lot of people, how can we make this a job that really rewards them for the impact they can have on people's lives? That, you know, coaches, you know, there's probably close to half a million coaches in America. They are typically from some of the largest chains of gyms and things, you know, they're, they're, they're oftentimes contractors or, you know, really undervalued and underpaid because, uh, because of the lumpy supply and demand curve, because, you know, there's, uh, you know, so many people who want to work for one NBA team and, you know, there's just this, this underappreciation of, of, um, how your day-to-day -day health is actually fundamental. It's not a choice and it really is actually something that, um, you know, really is, is part of the bigger picture. And so what we wanted to do was to find a price point that one was in the strike zone of consumer fitness. And if you, um, you know, if you just go to two boutique fitness classes a week, which is eight a month, which is not much, um, you're going to end up spending north of $300 a month, yeah. right? So, so, so 150, it's like, okay, it's in the strike zone. That's what people often pay for a gym membership. It's the cost of one session with our coaches. You get an entire month. And on the flip side, this price point will allow us to actually reward coaches for the great work they're doing. And so we did it kind of bottoms up, top down, thought about it a few different ways, started there. And actually the most fascinating learning about pricing that we've had is that people, uh, consumers are really unwilling to pay for software, right? Like if you, <laughs> if you go to the app store and there's like a to-do list app and it's like six bucks, you're like, what? That's crazy, <laughs> right? I'll just hack this in like the notes app or something. Right. Um, but when we reframe future as, as somebody's time, paying for someone's time, um, it's actually becomes a really understandable thing. And if I tell you, you know, this is Josh. Josh is our, our, our you know, VP of performance. Um, and he, he coaches a bunch of clients on our platform. You know, Josh, you know, used to be a strength coach for the Chicago Bulls. He coached uh, Derek Rose, you know, during his MVP year. Josh also has coached, you know, Olympic medalists and uh, ran, uh, uh, you know, performance at Purdue for men's basketball. You know, really accomplished person. Um, Josh is going to be there for you literally 24-7 right? Yeah. Josh is going to design a workout plan for you every week, but he's going to adapt it day to day. He's going to follow up every time you do a workout. He's going to remind you about things. He's there for you every day for $5 a day, right? Like it actually becomes pretty understandable that I can get someone incredible for, you know, a pretty reasonable um, rate for their time. And so I think that's what we learned is that people value other people's time. And, and if we frame it that way to you, um, it becomes really, truly understandable. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And I think it's something that your value-based value, value -based pricing is everything in terms of SaaS and everything to talk about that. But when you look, mm -hmm. look at having a person actually be in there, you think about, oh, I can like text them and have these responses and get this customization. It's like, that's how much it costs. Like, oh, 
like that's a steal. And again, having my personal training background and knowing how much these things can cost, <laughs> um, it's, it is a steal in terms of uh, how much time you, how much you would normally spend to have a trainer and even to have that kind of back and forth. A lot of times that's not even part of it. A lot of yeah. times it's just like in the gym. Um, one thing though, I, I really have to discuss because of your experience and we haven't, I mean, we talk for hours because there's so much history you have <laughs> just in terms of fundraising with all the different companies. I mean, you had a couple companies here, but you've raised from like the top venture capitalists. What lessons do you have for other founders around fundraising? And we can start with maybe the super early stage, uh, raising your first funds, and then for other entrepreneurs who are a little further along. I mean, like I said, you just raised a Series B. What do you? Have, well, what insights on fundraising for startups? Yeah, I would say you know you've even in this podcast you've covered so much ground on this, and so I'll try to bring maybe something a little different. And it's it's an it's a it's a thought that permeates how I run my company, how we fundraise for companies, etc. And, um, you know, what I would tell people about financing a company is that when you present, especially in the early days, when you have an, just simply an idea, right. Or just like the, the, the seed of an idea or the the beginnings of a product, you know, I think what people, um, who, who are interested in, in supporting companies, you know, I think want to see, um, is that you have a plan. And that, um, you, you know, like, frankly, no one knows what's going to happen. But you have a framework for how you're thinking about things. And so, so what I tell people, or my, actually, um, growing up, my dad, you know, my parents are in, immigrants from India. And, you know, I grew up in, you know, with all the Indian parenting, you know, one can, <laughs> can take. But one of the things my dad, a common refrain is he would tell me as a kid, hey, Rishi, uh, the plan is always useless, but planning isn't useless. And, you know, the plan is always useless, but planning isn't useless. And what I think he meant by that was, you know, you're going to make a plan. It's like, think about your business, right? You're going to make this whole, here's what we're going to do in, in month one, month two, here's our roadmap, here's our financial projection. <laughs> and then your first month happens and your growth rate sucks, or yeah. <laughs> you can't even hire an engineer or whatever. And now you're just off script, right? You're totally, you've deviated from the, pl- the path or on the flip side, things are working better than expected. But the fact that you had to think through the phases and stages. How am I going to build this thing? The fact that you had to think through, how am I going to deploy resources? How much am I going to have to spend per person and then the benefits overhead and so on and so forth. The the, the thought actually builds for you a framework so that when uh, that key team member um, has to leave because of a medical emergency or you don't get a certain amount of funding, you've thought through all of the implications and now you can change that one variable and at least have some grounding to think about where is this thing going to go, right? I had a thesis, I have some some framework in place, and now that I have new information, I can kind of like you know rebalance this equation, and 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 I think the way that shows up and when you're financing a company, and and that was your question specifically about fundraising, is people want to hear about your idea, they want to hear about why you're a fit for that idea, they want to hear about your insights, what secrets do you know that no one else knows? That's all great, but I think ultimately to write the check, they also want to know, okay, now. I've taken this money. If I'm a venture capitalist, I've taken this money from a pension from CalPERS. And people have worked their entire um, you know, career, 20, 30, 40 years on a factory line or, you know, whatever for the for this government or driving a bus. They're counting on this money for their pension. So I don't take it lightly then just kind of like sending these checks out to entrepreneurs, right? It's like I gotta see <laughs> it's gotta be a high burden yeah. of excitement for me to see that if I give this to you, you have a plan of what you're gonna do. Your plan is probably wrong, but you have a really detailed plan. And so the way I ended up, you know, building my initial decks, which often start with just an idea, are 
you know, this typical stuff. My team is incredible. The problem we're trying to solve is generational. It's big. You know, 70% of Americans are obese or overweight. And this is a problem for quality of life, for productivity, for, you know, everything. And then there's this solution that exists, you know, and you really get into your solution. Why is it different? What secret do we know that other people don't know? And then for me, what I always try to describe is, and now here are the specifics of how I'm going to attack this thing. And that might be in the form of a, um, a crazy long appendix. <laughs> you know, here are my thoughts. I don't expect you to read every, every bit of this writing, but here's how I'm thinking about the brand we want to build and the extensions to, to future beyond fitness as we grow. And here's how I think about, you know, um, uh, like you said, transitioning coaches and amazing ones from, uh, you know, being on the floor physically with their clients to digitally. And this is not required reading, but it gives you a sense that I'm really, I'm a, I'm, you know, a person with a plan. Yeah. I think that helps. You know, there's many, many other things that you need to do in order to finance a business. But I think that's one thing that I find I'm, I'm telling people a lot of times when I look at their decks is, is there's a lot of idea here, but like, um, just build for me some of that conviction that you, you really are the person I should bet on. Yeah. And you've thought about the different scenarios that what could happen yeah. and that you have the upsides, the downsides, you exactly. know, what are the, yeah, I remember seeing, um, um, in a, in a bunch of great decks, like here are the existential threats to my business. And here's how I'm thinking about attacking those. And I was like, man, that's a, like a wonderful shortcut to what otherwise <laughs> turns into three or four conversations. Right. Yeah. And, and the week with substance can get into those topics, you know? Well, the interesting thing too with that, and I'm glad you, you bring these things up because when <laughs> being in the venture side now for me, like we're going to tear it apart. Like we're going to tear your idea apart. And it's not like to be mean or anything, but like you're going to venture capitalist is going to poke holes and think about those scenarios. So right. as the founder, you, you need to do that first. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, just fundraising is such an interesting thing. On the one hand, it's this amazing part of the technology industry that smart, successful people are willing to sit down with you and listen to your dumb idea and like, you know, really take it seriously and think about it doesn't even exist yet. How are we going to lean in and make this happen? And on the other, on the flip side, as many entrepreneurs know, it's a grueling, grinding, unpleasant process at times. Um, but, you know, I think in the, in the best case scenario, if you, if you follow that one principle, it's not going to guarantee that you raise money or anything, but it'll guarantee that you've thought that your, your problem a whole heck of a lot better and so you'll be richer for the experience in that way of having had to answer, ask and answer the hard questions. And, um, you know, when I start fundraising, I always create this doc and I send it out to my team, which is like hard questions. Like what are, where, where what are the, <laughs> the hardest things about our business? What's not working? What's really upside down? What do we really have no answer for? Let's write all those questions down and then talk about, well, how do we think about it? And we don't have to have an answer because most people don't, but how do we think yeah. about it? I love that. I think that's that's great. And I think a lot of startups could could learn a lot from that in terms of understanding that side of things. And I think that's maybe not talked about that much in terms of looking at that as an option. And one of the last things I'm, I'm curious about, I know we're almost out of time here, is just with what you've done with multiple companies, with fundraising, with building teams, how do you think about relationship building? And how have you gone about that? Maybe how it's uh, adjusted as you've gone through your career? You mean with entrepreneurs and investors? Yeah. Um, you know, I've been in tech for about almost coming up on 15 years. I came out of academia before that. I was in physics and astrophysics. Um, so I've been around and I would say, you know, I, the way I've operated is, is to really value depth. Um, and so, you know, I went and worked with some very smart people and tried to make myself, you know, early days, my first job in tech and tried to make myself essential to them. 
you know, and, and the first company I went and, and worked at was run by Max Levchin, who had previously built PayPal. Yep. Um, he was one of the founders and Keith Boy, who had turned into a, you know, very successful investor in his own right. Um, and my job, you know, early on there was to, to add value with what I know, and then just to try to solve and pick up and solve any problem I can. Um, and by, you know, thinking about the same, you know, the idea of depth and, and, you know, depth of connection. Um, I've done the same with investors. I found investors who I, I truly like or find interesting or, or provocative maybe, um, and try to spend time with them and like get to know them personally, take an interest in who they are and, and argue about stuff um, versus, you know, trying to meet everybody. And then, you know, I, like a decade and a half later, I do happen to know a lot of people <laughs> just because, you know, it's a long time to, that elapses. But, um, but I think the, the folks who have um, traditionally stepped up to, to lead our rounds are folks who, you know, I've gotten to know over time. And, and, and a good example is, you know, Mamoon Hamid, who's at Kleiner Perkins, led our Series A and, and is, um, you know, a great investor for us at Future. And Mamoon was someone who, in my last company, I think I presented the idea to him and he was just like, this is just flat, not interesting to me. <laughs> um, but then, you know, we, but, but, but he was actually really thoughtful about it and he shared why. Um, and then, you know, I followed up and we spent like, you know, time, people are generous with their time and we spent some time talking about other things over time so that, you know, years later when I had this company, um, I was like, look, I actually know you, I know what you value. I think, you know, um, I think you'd actually find this interesting. And, um, and then it was a fit that time, right? So, so just I think fewer people with more depth is is how I've operated. I think you could make the exact inverse argument, which is to to start to get to know lots of people and don't spend much time with them. You know, like don't waste your time. Um, and I think that's probably equally valid. And most people will reflect what they've done. But that's that that's how I've approached it. Um, and I think it's it's served you know served us well so far. Um, but, uh, you know, more to come. We'll see. Yeah. Patience in either case, <laughs> patience, patience, P play the long game as Naval says, long, play long-term games with long-term people. And so <laughs> that's something I always have loved what he mentioned. Uh, and I, I think about all the time, actually, in terms of the things I'm working on and are these things that I could be doing for a long time? Are these people I could be working with for a long time? And if the answer is yes, then great, stick with it. If it's not, then maybe think of doing something else. Yeah, look, and then those people are like gonna not be a fit for that company at that time, but life is long, right? Yeah. So, so, so be honest, be respectful, like get to know them. And like, you know, who knows, five years down the line, 10 years down the line, they they do something with you or they know someone who does something with you. You know, like yeah. you know, life is long and for sure. And and I like that quote from the vaults. <laughs> Absolutely. Rishi, where can people go to learn more about future and connect with you as well? Yeah, just hit us at future.co.co. Um, and, you know, futures, are, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing. It's, uh, you know, obviously people tell me, they're like, man, this is built for these times when we're all stuck at home. Uh, but we started the company years before and saw just a ton of success yeah. with people, you know, meandering out in the world in their gym and, and, and just giving them a plan. Telling, and someone who cares um, has been just a huge thing. So, so, so give it a try, future.co and, and uh, you know, Awesome to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank, thank you for coming on. I love what you're building. And like I said, if I was a, a trainer still, I would be very interested in this type of thing as well. It's just the flexibility. But I appreciate the time. It's been a lot of fun. We'll get you as a client this time around. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, Justin Gordon 8 Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.